This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Nuts.com, the simple and convenient way to have nutritious, delicious, healthy nuts and other tasty treats delivered straight to your door. Get four free samples when you go to Nuts.com, click on the mic in the upper right-hand corner, and use code NOMEAT, one word. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting edition of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Frazier, joined by Doug Hay. <laughs> and I'm on a cruise. That's why That's why you're hearing that horn as our boat pulls out to sea from, from Miami. <laughs> I'm not really on a cruise. If you're hearing this, though, live or, or real, if you listen to it as soon as it comes available on iTunes or anywhere else, then I will be on, on a cruise. But we are, of course, recording it in advance uh, so that so that we don't not have any episodes go live uh, so that's what how that worked that was the best that was the best cruise ship porn i could find on youtube a really good one <laughs> <laughs> all right what we're doing today is uh, a little something we do every now and then which uh we're not going to call it ask me anything because it's not really that we we sort of filter the questions that we get so it's actually it's asking anything but then we're going to filter out the ones we don't want to answer and just pick the ones that uh that seem good so we can't really call it that but it is ask us questions something. and answers q a uh, listener Q and A's. I guess some of these are from readers too, but mostly these are listeners, uh, people who who like the podcast enough to write in, ask yep. for our opinions about things, and uh, you know we're not doctors, we're not uh, qualified to to give you any sort of actual help <laughs> advice, uh, but we will give you our take on it with that with that disclaimer. So uh, should we get into it, Doug? Do we have anything special today to talk about other than questions? You're on a cruise. I'm on a cruise. It's been really good so far. I have just run a marathon. Yeah, you will have. Yes. have not yet. Right. <laughs> right. I've been getting into the Back to the Future series recently. Oh, I watched I the whole trilogy with my son. Oh, wow. We had a, yeah, the, the women, my, my wife and our daughter went away for a weekend, and we watched Back to the Future 3 because he was into like outlaws and guns and stuff. So I was like, this is cool. Good. Yeah. Saw number one, number two. Except now I've, I'm thinking about them more, and I, I find all these little like you know paradoxes and things that like i when i was a kid i didn't question it was just like okay now now there's two martys because he sees himself but it it kind of ruined it for me I've, i'm i'm overthinking him uh-oh but that's a good franchise I, I love that series yeah yeah we 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 watched one of those on uh back to back to the future day <laughs> yeah um a couple months ago right? right that wasn't that long ago which was of course the day uh we might have, i don't did we say this on the podcast i don't know we, we <laughs> might have <laughs> It was last October. We were very exciting last. Yes. <laughs> it was last October when it was October whatever day of 2015, which was the day that Marty and Doc and Jennifer went into the future mm-hmm. to to save uh, young whatever Marty McFly's son's name is from going to jail. Anyway, that's Back to the Future. This though is Q and A, uh, and our first one is from Darla, who says, "I'm running my first marathon on February 28th." 2016, which is also when you're running your a marathon, right, Doug? Oh, Not yeah. Not your first. That's right. Yes. Uh, and was wondering about carb loading. <laughs> Unfortunately, she's going to hear this a few days after the marathon. <laughs> so I hope it went well, Darla. Uh, so she says, what do you suggest I eat to make sure I've loaded up on the right carbs? Also, I've read to carb load lunch and dinner three days before the marathon. Now my pace is slow, and at some point I do plan to walk. This has been a goal of mine for years, and now I turned 50. I think I better get it done. 
yeah, that's right. You better get it done. Uh, and you probably already have. So that's, that's wonderful. Congratulations. Um, what we, what we would have said is you definitely need to think, I mean, carb loading is, is a weird thing. I mean, people, people talk about it a lot, but most people, it turns out, and this is something that Jason Fitzgerald from Strength Running shared with me uh, from some study that he read. We've probably talked about this as well on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> don't They don't carbolate enough. They, they do not have enough glycogen in their bloodstream to to be as, as good as they could be on Marathon Day. And there was some sort of study, I think it was of London marathoners, and something like 85% of them did not have what they should have in, ter- in terms of carbohydrate in their system. Um, so... What, really what I've kind of learned since that, kind of from him, is during that, that morning of and the day before, and even maybe a day before that, I tend to just drink a lot more sugary drinks than I otherwise would. So more sports drink as as kind of a day before thing. Uh, not typically on a normal day sipping on sports drink or fruit juice. I think it's not a good thing to be putting that much sugar into your system. Um, but I will do it in those cases. The liquid is good and easy. Uh, so I like to do that. Otherwise, I can't say I make all that many changes. I, I like to do the the big carbo load lunch the day before. Uh, I eat this pesto pasta dish that, not because it's a pesto pasta. I mean, there's nothing special about that. It's just a high carbohydrate lunch, and take a little bit easy at dinner. Still some fruit juice, some some maybe a salad, maybe some bread. Nothing too. I don't like the big heavy meal that's going to make it hard to go to sleep and potentially cause problems the next day, especially if it's a first marathon and you don't know how your body's going to handle that kind of stuff. I wouldn't want a big huge carbohydrate heavy dinner from 8 p.m the night before in my stomach at at 4 a.m when i wake up for the race yeah i think that's that's one of the big things to keep in mind is what you're when you're eating it not necessarily what you're eating well that too of course but uh you know if you're eating it too late if you're having a late dinner which is a popular thing before marathons a lot of marathons have these big pasta dinners at 8 p.m the night before the race and chances are your body's not gonna be able to digest and process a lot of that food by the time you wake up at five in the morning to, to head out to the starting line. Um, and I mean, if you're like, cause local restaurants, of course, at these, they also all offer marathon menus. I mean, if you're getting a typical spaghetti dish, it's going to have a ton of oil in it. Right. And I just wouldn't put that all in my stomach that, that to close to the race. It's just, it's just asking for trouble. I mean, if, so I would eat a very bland, if you're going to do pasta dinner, literally I would do pasta with red sauce and nothing else in there. Like no oil in the sauce, just a very, very bland thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do sweet potato burritos with just a little bit of beans and a little bit of veggies and, and, and rice. rice and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and that's also a good time. Uh, I mean, as, as much as the general advice is to eat foods that are in their you know unrefined state, as you get closer and closer to to race day. I mean, particularly when it's like a, an hour or two before the race, but even I think the night before or the lunch before, that's when I'm more likely to, to go for the refined option. Just because to limit the amount of fiber that's going in there, right. to speed the rate at which it gets into your bloodstream. Uh, if there's a time to have white pasta, that's that's it. It's, it's sure. really close to a workout before or after, uh, or like you know, carbo loading for race day the day before. Then that's when I will shift to the white rice or the white pasta uh, rather than the, the heavy fibrous stuff that is usually good for you. Yeah, and this is, and we may end up saying this a lot throughout this Q and A, but this is a good example of something to to test out before, like during your training, before a long run, one of your longest long runs uh, during marathon training. You can the night before, the day before, you can test out that pre race dinner and and see how it feels the next day. Yeah, definitely. And that's that's kind of one of the risks of giving advice like this is that if if Darla has has never done a strategy like this, and then suddenly 
eats all this extra food and fruit juice and else. I mean, it, you just there's enough going on with the marathon that you don't really need that new right. variable to be happening. So, right. uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you definitely wanted to carbo load. You want, and I think you can make an adjustment on as you approach race day. But just I would be careful with how extreme you're you're making an adjustment. Yeah. All right. Next one is from uh, I guess it's Paheli P A H E L I. Says, hi, Matt and Doug. I enjoy listening to your podcast. Own the anime book and an anime tank top that I enjoy running in. See, that's the way to get your question selected. <laughs> yeah. start, start out with yep, that. Start it that yep. way. I'm a casual runner, maybe five to eight miles a week, and I'm in the process of increasing my mileage to about 15-ish miles per week. Trying to be conscious about my running these days in order to optimize my performance. I've just read an article on breathing that I've linked to below. has so many contradictory opinions on optimal breathing technique. What is your advice or personal experience? Uh, and then she gave us, or he or she gave us the link there. So I guess we should show people how to find this link, right? Yeah, well, we should we should share it in the show notes. We can put it in the show notes. Uh, if you just Google triathlete Europe, how should I breathe when I run, you will probably find it because that's where it's from. Um, okay, so breathing. Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise that there is a lot of contradictory opinions there because it seems that every different running coach you talk to will have a contradictory opinion from someone else about it. Right. Um, we all know that Doug is a big bud coach. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of your things, isn't it? You're the environment guy. And the bud coach. You're the ultra yeah. runner and you like bud coats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I mentioned bud coats one time <laughs> after we met him and about how I liked his talk and, that, and I enjoyed his book. You were going to interview him on your show and on your own I did, podcast. I did. No, you're right. You're right. You love them. You love Bud Coats. I, I'm a, I am a Bud Coats fan. Okay. So Doug great likes guy, the Bud Coats approach. He has a book called Running on Air. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, Doug, why don't you tell us what that, what his approach is about? Well, his approach is about uh, rhythmic breathing. So you're you're breathing on in a rhythmic pattern so that you're inhaling and exhaling on... Um, man, I'm going to botch how to... <laughs> Bud Coats will be very boy. disappointed with me. Um, basically, so that you're not always inhaling on the same leg and exhaling on the same leg. You're mixing it up. Because he found that uh, that running injuries would increase on legs where you were always exhaling. Right. So if you were to breathe in for three steps, out for three steps, the right. problem is that then whichever step you you start on, you're always going to be exhaling on that same foot, that left foot or that right foot. Right. Um, yeah. And I don't know if he, I don't know if they actually linked it to, maybe they did, uh, increased incidence of injury, but I know, I think it had been measured as, in, as a higher impact to that foot when you, right. then, uh, which of course leads to injury. Uh, although I did see recently an article that kind of called that whole idea into question that maybe that's not actually true. Who yeah. Does? You know, I mean, I think that there are definitely varying uh, approaches to this and, and someone like, you know, if we're going to keep mentioning Jason, Jason Fitzgerald recently wrote a post about how it, all this stuff is nonsense and it doesn't matter how you breathe, um, that you should just breathe whatever feels the most naturally. Yeah. So, um, this, I'm looking at this article now, and it does it does mention Bud Coates. I, I do want to clarify what his strategy is, just for someone who, who's never been exposed to these ideas before. Um, a simple example would be, and I don't know that this is one he endorses. I think maybe it is, and I know the Chi Running uh, book, Danny Dreyer, also does a similar three-two pattern, mm-hmm. where it's in for three steps, out for two steps, and then in for three steps, out for two, and because it's an odd number, the total five, um, you you're alternating which foot you're actually exhaling on for that right. first exhale so and, that's that's the and idea. as you increase in speed you increase it two to one 
Yes. And so forth. Right. I think there's also five, four, but... And there's also one that, that there's a time to do two, three instead of three, two, which I remember from the Chi running book. I don't know what Bud Coates' take on that is, uh, but there were different reasons. I've seen in Jack Daniels' book, his approach is more like, he, he stays up with the even thing, in for, in for three, out for three, mm-hmm. but he says as your intensity increases, you're lessening the number of steps per breath, so it can get to the point where it's one, one, right. and you're just, you're just going fast and you're breathing hard. Uh, but yeah, Jason, so like... I guess Jason. One of the reasons Jason Fitzgerald feels that it's not important is because what we said there there really is no consensus on it. Every coach seems to have a different opinion about it, uh, and I mean apparently there's no really empirical evidence that one method works better than another. It's I think if there were any sort of pattern in elite runners that that you know was coming up over and over again as the one that they chose, uh, other than breathe just went what feels comfortable then it would probably make itself apparent. People would probably discover that pattern. So right. it seems that elites just don't think about it. Yeah. Um, and and that Jason is a big fan of saying, you don't need to think about breathing at all. Uh, there's a book that I really like called Body, Mind, and Sport. It's by a guy named John Dooliard or something. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but you can find it. Body, Mind, and Sport. Uh, he gives a really nice approach to breathing there. His whole thing is breathe in through your nose and out through your nose, never through your mouth. Which is which is really different from one of the. And he says even at like, you know, whatever four hundred meter fast athletes, that they don't need to be breathing through their mouth ever. That of course is a really highly criticized approach, saying you just can't get enough oxygen in that way. Uh, but it certainly does a lot for the sort of I don't know meditativeness of a run. Right. And uh, and I that when I ran my hundred miler, actually the way I began the training for that without really realizing this is what I was doing. Uh, I just built this base by when I started running every day for a while, I was just going out for like 30 or 40 minutes or sometimes an hour, just breathing through my nose the entire time, which meant really, really slow pace. So it served as a nice base building thing where I just said, this is my sort of the governor on my speed is I'm only going to breathe through my nose. And that will therefore prevent me from ever really getting my heart rate too high. And it was, you know, one of those sort of maffetone methods where you go for a few months without ever getting into any sort of difficult heart rate zone. Uh, and, and it worked, it worked well enough. I, not at all scientific was that experiment, but, but it, it worked for me. I've heard Rich Roll say that that's kind of an approach that he used in, in really learning how to get in shape. So I can recommend that book. I don't know that, that that breathing method is for everyone or that there is one for everyone. I really, really don't know. I think more importantly than how you're breathing is, is using your breath as a measure of your effort and your intensity of the run. And, and, being able to kind of gauge instead of you know instead of having to do the heart rate and do all that kind of stuff, use your breath as a way to gauge how hard you're you're working, right? Uh, and and just and adjust your pace and adjust your your effort accordingly. And to again make it just super obvious for someone who doesn't really know what what Doug is referring to there, the way you would do that would be, let's say you go out on a run and you say I'm whether it's through your nose or through your mouth, whatever you're doing, that I can take a four steps for every in breath and I can take four steps for every out breath. And you keep doing that throughout your run, and you'll find that you can you can maintain that because it's not it's just enough time for you to get a good breath, and you'll go at the pace that that you can handle doing that. But as soon as you hit a hill or something like that, you will if you don't slow down accordingly to keep your intensity the same, you will find that you can't you need to take faster breaths, and right. that's that's a, a very clear sign that, that your intensity has now increased. And if you were wearing a heart rate monitor, your heart rate would have been shown to increase there. But this is a nice kind of I don't know natural no monitor no equipment way of of monitoring your your 
intensity. So I, I really like right. it for that. And I think that I think those types of cues are a really, really good next level of running for if you've just gotten started, a really nice next step. And and help wearing a monitor can help you because you, you start to recognize these and, and line them up with the different heart zones. Mm-hmm. But I think that kind of familiarity with your body's signals uh, is a really nice thing to acquire as a runner. Yeah, and especially as you increase your mileage and in- increase your your distance, you know, of course you want to you want to be able to sustain a, a an effort that you can maintain throughout the length of your run, right? Um, and so as you're going longer, if you're training for a half marathon or a marathon or an ultra or something like that, then this becomes more and more important that you're not just maxing out. Uh, at the very beginning and going out way too hard and right. then, you know, and then crashing. Good. All right. Doug, we've got another, uh, another tough name to pronounce here. Why don't you go, go for this one? This is a running specific question, which you as the running coach might be more qualified to answer. <laughs> you just don't want to say his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. uh, or this, her name. We don't know. This one's from Iman, maybe? I-M-A-A-N. Um, how often should new runners be running? And should they do anything else on non-running days? And then she tells a little bit about herself. I was walking eight plus miles a day and working out high intensity training classes at the gym two to three hours per week. Uh, when I took up running for a, with a couch to 5k app, I kept my usual schedule and added three times a week of running and it bumped up my, it bumped my total up to seven to eight hours of exercise per week. This week I hit a wall during week six Day two of the couch to 5K, I'm fatigued and feeling off. So I'm resting. Well, yeah. So that's basically the question. Okay. So that's a lot of detail. Yeah. Um, the gist of the question, I guess, is I've just started running. and How often should I be running? Yeah, and, what and how much doing? is too much with, with all the other stuff that she's yeah, doing? She's doing a lot. She's walking eight plus miles a day. That's a lot of walking. and uh, And then... A couple times a week doing doing classes at the gym. Yep. And then adding three times a week of running. So yeah, that's a lot. Um, oh, added to the gym routine too, she said. So, okay. So lots, lots of quick increases here. I, I don't know that much about Couch to 5K. I don't think it's a very intense program, right? I mean, it's pretty it's yeah. good for somebody who's on the couch right. to get to 5K. So yep. I, I don't personally think that adding that onto, the, assuming that that you were doing okay with this other routine of eight miles of walking per day plus high-intensity interval classes at the gym. I don't think if you add in couch to 5K stuff, which I think has, has some walking in there, um, is you know a mix of walking and running, getting you up to 5K distance, I don't think that would, would really put you over any sort of uh, whatever threshold where suddenly now your body can't handle that. Right. Uh, it, it depends, of course, how you were doing that. Like if you're, if you're running those couch to 5K miles as if they're – tempo runs or something and, and each one of them is really taking it out of you then uh, in that case it could because maybe maybe what was a recovery day is now no longer a recovery day for you and now you don't have any recovery days in your in your workout or in your in your week if you're doing them at a really slow pace though you know talking about the hard zones type stuff that we just talked about where you it's a it's uh, to give you a, a physiological cue you're you're you can carry on a conversation while you run uh which is our our a good uh way of gauging what an easy pace is can you truly carry on a conversation while you're running if you can do that you're probably in a recovery zone and i think that that type of running shouldn't be too much um the other i mean i don't know she, she said she hit a, or he or she hit a wall during week six day two of couch to 5k fatigued and feeling off i mean fatigued and feeling off can happen 
Yeah. You had too many beers the night before or anything. Right? <laughs> I mean, lots yeah, of I mean that, that, that could be anything, you know, stress at work or, or just a couple of days of not sleeping very well. I mean, you know, you're definitely increasing what you're doing here and you, and you should be careful with that. You should make sure that you're still keeping some days as, as rest days uh, or just really light exercise days. And, and, you know, maybe you adjust and take a little bit of less classes or, or walk a little bit less per day to, to take the, the running into account or, you know, to add that in. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I would just I would look at your overall picture and make sure you're not jumping up too significantly, too quickly in your, your hour spent exercising. So one more thing is uh, she, he or she started off saying, how often should new runners be running and should they be doing anything else on non-running days? Uh, I mean, if you're, if you're in some sort of decent fitness, I think you can do something else along with couch to 5K training and be okay. Uh, so if that's what you mean by new runner, I think it's fine to do other stuff. Uh, there are some people for whom that would be plenty. Just the couch to 5K would be all that they need. But I think given that, that this person was already doing lots of other stuff, it doesn't seem like it's, it's too much to add that on there. Okay, Dan is up next. He also knows how to start a, start one. He says, "Just want to start off by saying how awesome you guys are and how many runs I've been on with your podcast." See that that's another way. To, if you want your question read on here, just write really nice stuff about us. Go leave us a positive review on iTunes and buy some Nomadathy products and let us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, Dan, I hope I hope, uh, hope you're enjoying. I hope you're on a run right now. Yes. All right. Uh, his question is concerning water retention. Uh, he's a CrossFit athlete, cycles creatine, has been vegan for about five months now, um, weighs three pounds more when he's on creatine than when he's off it, and his hands are puffy. <laughs> so he said he, he he his father has the same build. I guess he's had this before. Um, well, I'm, I'm not sure that I totally understand. Do you, Doug? I don't know if it's a genetic issue or not. Because yeah. he says his father does, but he doesn't remember him him having it before. Um, eats seitan tempeh daily. Hasn't really been tracking sodium levels in dressing, but he doesn't add salt to anything. Have you experienced anything like this? Or and, and is the daily consumption of meat substitutes detrimental? Which is kind of a different question from from the the hand thing. Um, I mean, as for the puffy hands, I think the creatine could be related to that. Um, because one of the, one of the things you hear from people who, if you ever tell anyone you're, you're using creatine to gain weight, like, which I've done before, uh, and actually currently doing now when I'm trying to put on weight, it's, I think it's a useful supplement. It appears safe to me from everything I've seen. Um, some people will disagree, but I don't, I really don't think it is unsafe. Um, but people will say, well, that's all that does is make you hold more water. So as soon as you stop using creatine, you will lose all the weight that you, that you gain by put by using it. Um, I don't think that's true because it actually does. It, it helps you. It helps your muscle fibers be able to perform better and lift stronger, lift heavier weights for short durations, um, thereby building more muscle. So you can gain a lot of weight on creatine. Then when you when you go off it, of course you will lose the three pounds or whatever that Dan has lost here when he goes off it. Um, but that you know that's definitely a, a water thing, right? It, it helps you absorb hold more water. So I think that could definitely be something somehow involved. And and if uh, It'd be interesting to know if this happens when you also went during the cycling period when you're not taking creatine, if you still have these this puffy hand issue. Uh, but I don't, I really don't have anything educated to say about this. Do you, Doug? I mean, I, I mean, th- go ask a doctor about this. I, I'd be afraid to tell you anything about. You need to drink more water. You need to drink less water. It just that that to me is going down a road that I shouldn't go down. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any experience with creatine. Um, you know, I, I have heard that puffy hands are a sign of overhydration. 
Yeah, and they're one of the like the hyponatremia thing when you're mm-hmm. running a marathon. They say look look out for like if you look at your sock line, is your ankle swelling over it, or are your hands puffy around your ring or anything else? Right. And that's a sign that you have too much water, not enough sodium in your body, which is really a dangerous condition. Um, but I don't know. I mean, unless you're just drinking tons of water. Yeah. I right. It. I don't know. I mean. But, well, let's move on to the second question. In, in general, do you think that daily consumption of meat substitutes like tempeh and seitan are detrimental? I I think, I, I don't know. I, I consider those two of the... Cleaner meat substitutes, right? <laughs> yeah, they are that. But but I also would consider those, like, if, if I have those on any day, I feel like, uh, you know, that wasn't the, maybe the best thing I could have eaten that day. Oh, with, with, you were going to disagree. No, no, as, I, far, I was, as far as meat substitutes go, they're way better than, than Beyond Meat. Or, sorry, Beyond right. Meat, but way better than something. Than the processed, a processed yeah, burger I think. or something. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely wouldn't make an effort to eat seitan daily. Like, that's that's a thing that I consider a treat that you should sort of right. eat not daily. Tempeh, less so. I think tempeh is, is a pretty, pretty healthy, not very processed um, food from soy. And it depends on what you think about soy, but... Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to give you protein. I'm guessing that's why why Dan eats them daily. Uh, but I'm a big believer that you can get all the protein you need just by eating whole foods, and especially if you limit oil so that that, that large percentage of your calories doesn't have zero protein in it, uh, and all your other foods are, are whole, then, then they're they're giving you a lot of protein. And I think you're going to get between 10 and 15% of your, of your diet from protein if you just eat whole foods uh, without oil in there, of course. So I wouldn't worry about them for the for the protein reason unless you have a reason to do so. I guess as a CrossFit athlete, maybe that's maybe that's important to you. Uh, I I don't really know about that much about CrossFit or what's what's required nutritionally. So I don't know. Can't really help you with the with the hands thing. Sorry, sorry, Dan. <laughs> sorry, Dan. But uh, appreciate. But th- thanks for listening. <laughs> yes, thank you very much for listening. Um, so we have a few more questions, but why don't we pause for a minute to thank our sponsor. Okay. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Nuts.com. Matt, we hear all the time from listeners who have trouble finding many of the healthy nuts, seeds, and snacks that they see in cookbooks or hear about us talking about here on the podcast. And that's what's so cool about Nuts.com. They have everything from traditional nuts and nut mixes to chia seeds, sprouted almonds, dried goji berries, even protein powders and other seeds that we like to put in our smoothies. Right now, new customers can get four free samples of $15 value when they go to nuts.com, click on the mic in the upper right-hand corner, and enter code NOMEAT, one word. Since 1929, this family-owned business has prided themselves on delivering the best in nuts and dried fruit you'll find anywhere, but nuts.com is more than just nuts, Doug. Choose from over 3,000 healthy foods, like the Moringa powder, which I just ordered and can't wait to try out. And don't forget that right now, new customers get four free samples of $15 value when you go to nuts.com and enter our code NOMEAT. One word. That's nuts.com and enter code NOMEAT for four free samples with your order. Go to nuts.com for full details. Nuts.com. Check it out. All right, this next one is from Chris. He says, I am newly vegetarian and in the early stages of working out again. I'm planning on eating 3,000 calories a day. As I said, I'm new to life without meat and need help eating my caloric goals in a healthier manner. I'm looking looking for things to add calories and ways to ensure that I'm hitting my 3,000 calorie goal. Any suggestions or recommendations? Okay, good. Uh, 
yeah, I actually am, am doing very similar right now. I'm not a new vegetarian, uh, but I am in the early stages of working out again. My wife and I, have, as I have mentioned, I've been lifting five days a week, doing all kinds of heavy stuff like squats and deadlifts and all the big compound lifts, uh, spending anywhere from an hour to 75 minutes in the gym. So I've been doing the same thing. I've been looking at calorie numbers, although I usually don't really calculate or care about calories. I don't think you need to to be healthy. Uh, I do think if you have if you have specific weight goals and you want to increase your weight or decrease your weight, then it doesn't hurt to kind of keep an eye on that and see what your basal me- metabolic rate is and do the multiplier for how much activity there is. And you can find all this stuff. I'm guessing Chris has already done this. If if uh, he has has uh, is aiming to get 3,000 calories, I'm, I'm guessing that's just not pulled out of out of uh, out of the air. Rear end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, but anyway, so I am doing this myself right now. I'm also not eating oil right now. There's been a little uh, oil-free February initiative that I've been trying to do. Hashtag. Hashtag, yep. So uh, it's it has been, I'm not going to say it's been difficult because it hasn't been hard to do, but it's just been something I need to be mindful of. I need to think about it. Um, so I do have a few tips on here, and I was actually going to put these in an email soon, but I'll, I'll say them here, and I'll, I'll still probably put them in an email. Um, one of my tricks, I mean, it's not a trick, but nut butter is a really good way to, to do it. If you get get the nut butter that is whole in the sense that it doesn't have added oils or sugar or anything like that and eat a two tablespoons of that just now and then throughout the day but where do you get your nut butter matt <laughs> of course nuts.com Doug. <laughs> click on the mic in the upper right hand corner enter no meat that's how i do it um but anyway that that will give you a lot of fat calories so you, so you do want to be mindful of that if, if you have certain macronutrient ratios that you're also trying to hit then of course eating nut butter all the time is going to you know sway that toward the fat side uh in general though caloric density is is kind of the the key here if you're eating lots of salads you know salads are great they will however fill you up without many calories in them so if your goal is to gain weight then you don't want to be eating all that much salad um but but certainly still one a day if you can do it so nuts are good beans sweet potatoes these are things that are fairly caloric dense they're not nearly caloric dense in the way that animal products are uh but that's a good thing that's that's why i think this diet is very healthy uh, just makes it a little bit tougher to try to gain weight. Mm-hmm. Um, what else can I say? So I've been adding in, this is one thing I add to my routine. It's a really easy way to add 500 calories to your diet. Uh, and that is, so what I would typically do is in the morning, I would wake up, have a cup of coffee, probably not eat anything until like 10 a.m. when I would happen to get hungry. Nowadays, what I do is as soon as I wake up, I pour myself a bowl of grape nuts like cereal. And the reason I say grape nuts like cereal is because last I heard grape nuts are not technically vegan. Uh, whatever they derive the vitamin D fortification from uh, is you know related to sheep's wool or something. So uh, there are two alternatives to grape nuts. Um, Kashi makes one that is called Seven Whole Grain Nuggets, I think. And there's one by Food for Life, the Ezekiel bread company that everyone knows that makes a sprouted version of these foods. It looks like these little pebbles like, uh, like grape nuts. Not fruity pebbles, Doug. I you know, saw you perk up there. It wasn't <laughs> fruity or cocoa pebbles. Uh, but, you know, the, the, just big calorically dense food. And I actually got the grape nuts idea a long time ago from Chris Carmichael, who was Lance Armstrong's old coach. He said that uh, he used to have some athletes that mysteriously who weren't recovering in the way that others were or just weren't quite getting the calories. And it turned out that the ones who were succeeding were the ones who were following his recommendation to eat this bowl of grape nuts every day. Hmm. So yeah, I, I grew up eating grape nuts because that was like oh, the you? cereal that my parents Yeah, nobody ate that as a kid. I know. It was like terrible kid cereal. <laughs> terrible kid <laughs> right. cereal. But, uh, but I love it. I mean, that, the, the, that type of cereal I like a lot, those little yeah nuggets of fiber. Yeah. So you, you take that, uh, add to it, or a cup of that, 
a cup of almond milk or any other non-dairy milk, and a banana comes out to something like 500 or 550 calories, and uh, that's a pretty big boost to your diet if you're otherwise eating, you know, whatever, 2,500. If you suddenly add that in and that's just, you know, nothing else changes, but you add that, then you've increased your, your caloric intake by, by 20%. Um, so that's that's one thing I do pretty consistently. And the reason I, I think the consistency is important is because it's really easy, and I've made this mistake before, to say, okay, I want to gain weight. Or, I mean, I guess you could say the same about losing weight, but I want to gain weight, so what I'm going to do is try to eat more. And I'm just going to... It's easy, right? You think you can just make sure you have extra servings at dinner. Make sure that every instant you're hungry, you make sure to put something in your stomach instead of going for an hour where you're kind of hungry. Uh, that's that's lost time when you could be consuming stuff. <laughs> um, but I think if you do that, you, you know, you might do it for a few days, but then you'll probably just slide back into whatever your habitual way of eating is. So Robert Cheek, when he was on our podcast a few, probably about a year ago now, uh, he came on and I asked him about this, and he said one of the really important keys is just like be totally accountable. Keep track of what you what you eat. You don't have to typically keep track. Like I really think it's not a great thing for for long term eating. But when you're trying to make a change to your weight, uh, I think it's a really useful thing to see how many calories you actually are eating, not just how many you're trying to eat, but how many on an actual day to day basis are you eating, and how often are you actually hitting that goal. So keep a food log, uh, and this is fairly easy if you eat the same types of like if you have three or four foods throughout the day that you eat, you know, as a matter of routine. Like I have the grape nuts in the morning. In the afternoon, sometime I'll have this two tablespoons of peanut butter or almond butter. Uh, typically, I'll have a, a tart cherry juice in there, and what else? A smoothie, always a smoothie. So that comes out to something like fifteen hundred of my calories, and then you've only got whatever a thousand to fifteen hundred more that are sort of unknown, and that's going to vary depending on what you have for lunch and dinner because those are going to typically change day to day. Um, but you know that you can you can figure out what those are you can log those exact foods it's not that much work to log your food is what i'm saying if you know that you're these same foods are showing up all the time it's really only a matter of keeping track of a few meals a day yeah and if you at the end of the day if you find yourself missing a few calories you can just open up the freezer pull out a tub of ben and jerry's vegan ice cream and there you go out. that's exactly the type of calories that we, <laughs> we like to recommend here that's the way to do it have you had any of that yet no what is it the ben and jerry's the new dairy-free Ice cream. I didn't know they had one. Yeah. Have you? I, no, I haven't, but no? I've heard good things. Yeah, that seems like a nice Doug purchase. I could see you getting that. <laughs> <laughs> you, like, you like Ben and Jerry's type stuff, right? Like hippie kind of jam band. <laughs> sure, Smoke yeah. Smoke a little ganj. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how that, I don't know how all that relates, but <laughs> I mean, I guess it does. All right. Next question is from Billy. Uh, B-I-L-L-I-E, so probably a woman. Not not definitely. Um, says, I am new to the raw vegan world, and I have noticed that I do not have the energy to get through my workouts. I was wondering if you could recommend a pre-workout energy smoothie or meal for raw vegan athletes. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> not you. Not you, Doug. Oh. Thank you, Doug, for, for choosing this question, though. Because oh, Doug is our question chooser. So if you really want to get your question answered, <laughs> make sure you Come address on, Doug. Doug yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so... First of all, Billy, there are lots of other good resources for raw vegan athletes who are not us. Um, Better resources. Yes. There's there's a... I don't know the guy's name. Sorry. There's a, there's a raw vegan bodybuilder. In fact, I'm sure there are many of them. But there's one guy who I met at the fruit festival, Woodstock Fruit Festival, a few years ago. I think his name was Mike. He knew a lot of stuff. Um, anyway, there are sources for raw vegan athletes that, that will give you all kinds of good raw, high-calorie things. The fruitarian is raw. 
yeah, the Fruitarian, Mike Arnstein. So go to thefruitarian.com. I don't know if he has a lot of uh, actionable advice on there. It's more of just kind of information about his, his career and stuff, but maybe he does. Uh, of course, the 80-10-10 diet book has lots of recipes. Again, not really aimed at high-calorie stuff, but um, I think you say, Billy, that you are a new to the raw vegan world, and I think if that if that is a, if those two things are both new, if you are both new at veganism and new at being raw, then it's quite possible if you just dramatically shifted to that, that you cut out 30 or 40% of your calories without really feeling any difference in how full you feel. And that's, that's how raw food works, right? There's lots more water in it. So it will fill up your stomach without actually providing all that many calories as, as you know, cooked food would when it fills up your stomach. So you feel full still, but of course you're not taking in as much. So you know, I think it's possible that until your stomach kind of gets used to this way of eating, and, and this is one of the issues with, I've heard from the raw community, they say it really takes a while to get your stomach stretched out to the point where you can get enough calories in this way, because it just has to get used to handling larger quantities. Um, so that's one possibility. It might just take a while to, to adjust to it. And I mean, any big adjustment to your diet probably is going to take some time and probably is going to put you through a period of time where you don't feel all that great. Um, that's, that's one of the reasons I tell people to kind of do things gradually and do things in small steps. You give yourself time to adjust to each new phase and, uh, you sort of avoid these, the, the dip that happens when you make a sudden drastic change. So, uh, that's, that's just sort of the preface here. If maybe you're new just to raw, but you've been vegan before. And if that's the case, then I think, uh, I mean, it's probably a very similar principle there and maybe not quite as extreme because it's not a, such a drastic change, but still a pretty big change to go from cooked to raw. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I would definitely, I think you're right to look at the pre-workout window as the time to feel more, you know, the, the thing to address if you want to feel more energy during your workouts. A lot of people tend to, I think, blame a big diet change the rest of their, throughout throughout all their, you know, they, they, they change their diet and then they say, I don't feel much energy during my workouts. But really, I think that really a lot is affected by what you're eating in the hour or two before that workout. So, um, is there a specific pre-workout energy smoothie? I mean, just about any smoothie I make is, is raw. There aren't, you don't really put a lot of cooked ingredients into a smoothie. Uh, the, the one I typically do every single day, not necessarily as a pre-workout thing, but it works for that is a handful of walnuts or raw cashews. And the walnuts are raw too, of course, uh, a bunch of bananas. So, you know, four to six really ripe spotted bananas and some frozen strawberries or raspberries, whatever you've got. And, uh, you know, that, that works well. If you want some faster sugars in there, you could put some dates in there and you might need to soak the dates to get them softer, uh, or just eat the dates in addition to the smoothie, you know, 20, 30 minutes before your workout. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in general, just a bunch of fruit kind of ripe beer and fruit juice, maybe right before the, yeah, I mean, and if the fruit's not working, then, you know, switch to juice like Doug said, because I think you'll get the calories faster and a little bit more of a, of a spike, which is Mm -hmm. the reason you would avoid that typically, but before workout that can work really well. Uh, tart cherry juice I like a lot. Just it's a good sort of uh, recovery food. We should mention they have sponsored some podcast episodes recently. Full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's that's you know you can make a smoothie out of literally throw any five fruits in a blender or two fruits in a blender and you have a smoothie. You don't even need to add the nuts in there. And honestly, the nuts aren't going to be doing much for you in in the next two hours for a workout anyway. Uh, I think longer term they're going to help add calories, but they're not going to give you that much energy in in the next hour after you eat them. What's the what's the advantage for the extra ripe bananas? I think, and I'm again not the best person to ask here, but I think it's that the the starchy carbohydrate has been converted into sugar, okay. so now it is 
which is of course why it tastes sweeter. Right. Um, and that makes it easier to digest. So one one benefit from that is that you can actually eat more bananas that way. It's way easier to eat six uh, super ripe bananas than it is to eat six green bananas. It just it'll feel you know like like less in your stomach. Hmm. Um, and and people who are into that they'll they will put six bananas and some water in the blender and just make a smoothie out of that and just chug it down and get all those calories at once. Right. Uh, well, I'm not saying that's healthy or not, just what they do. Uh, so anyway, that's that's the main thing. All right. Our final question is from Meg, and she says, any suggestions or resources for easy, healthy meals for the week that I can make and prepare on Sunday? Okay. So I think, yeah, I guess this is just a very general question. Or what, what can you prepare in bulk and then use throughout the week. Um, there's a good guest post written by Matt Yeager recently on Nomi Athlete called the Chipotle Method. And I think this isn't quite what Meg is referring to here, but this would kind of work. It, it involves having a bunch of different vegetables and fixins, for lack of a better word, that you would you know put on a burrito or whatever food you're having and kind of have this, this rotating bar of vegetables that you're choosing from. Uh, to kind of keep having this variety in beans and different other sort of things that you're just basically throwing into a burrito or throwing into a pot with grains. And, you know, you can get a lot of meals out of something like that. And for that, you would just, if you wanted it not to take a ton of effort every time you did it, you would prep all these vegetables in advance. So on Sunday, you would chop a ton of vegetables, and divide them into little little containers and, and have that for your burrito bar. Um, I guess, are there other specific meals, Doug, that would be would be a useful thing you could prepare on Sunday and then have soups several are good. times. You can freeze soups. Soups are excellent for that. Um, soups also don't take much active time, which is really nice. So on a Sunday, you can right. you throw some stuff in, and it might take two hours of in an extreme case, um, and then you've got you've got that soup. Then with no extra work, you just had to get the stuff in the pot. Right. And easily, you can make large quantities of that too and freeze, like you said. Yeah. Uh, you know, pasta, pasta sauces and stuff you can freeze and mm-hmm. and then just kind of thaw out the day before. Or and of course, there's the salad. I mean, most of our salad chopping, we usually do that once a week. Just make a huge giant bowl full of salad. That really, we just mix it all in. I mean, I guess you could maybe get a little more life out of it by keeping some of the vegetables. We don't do like tomatoes or anything, but keep those moist vegetables separate from the lettuce and things like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just do all the chopping and prep ahead of time if you can. Um. I mean, I don't know. That's just not way typically that we eat. Like, we'll also make our dressings and things like that ahead of time. So there's a really good cashew ranch mm-hmm. recipe. So if you look up cashew ranch dressing, I'm sure you'll find something online. Uh, tahini dressing is another one we do. These are both oil-free salad dressings, so I like those a lot. And those those can be kind of batch-made ahead, although you only really make enough for four to five days. But, yeah, so you can do that on Sunday and, and have that for the week. Yeah, you can. I mean, there's a lot of prep work you can do on Sunday. You can soak your beans. You can... Even make your rice and 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 freeze your rice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know all kinds of different things like that that you can you can prep ahead of time, and then so then it only takes a few minutes to prepare. Yeah, this would also be a good situation to do the grain, a green, and a bean trick. Where the beans typically, I mean, you could make them from scratch on on Sunday. That would work if you wanted to soak them and then cook them for however many hours it takes. Uh, what we typically do more often is buy them in cans. But the grain is the part that, that does take some time to cook. So if you wanted to be ahead of the game, you could make a huge pot of quinoa or brown rice or whatever else. Any other, I mean, There's so many different kinds of grains and pseudo-grains and seeds out there that you can make. And then that's the time-consuming part of a grain, a green, and a bean. Otherwise, it's a matter of sautéing some kale, which takes five or seven minutes. Um, 
dumping some greens or beans into that pot and heating it up along with the grain, right? I mean, or you could cook it all together as the grain cooks. But if you want to be fast, make the grain and kind of have a, a grain bank in the in the freezer, and then just pull the one out that you need, toss it into your into your pot, and and you're good to go. Very boring meal, grain, green, and bean. It does rhyme, but uh, <laughs> but otherwise it's kind of boring. But I think really that's that's the way to eat, right? Spice it up with some salsa yeah. Or I mean, something. there's so many different kinds of spice mixes, and you can. There's some good books that I think. I hope I'm not saying this wrong, but I think Yum Universe, which is a book by a friend of No Meat Athlete named Heather Crosby, uh, has has a bunch of different spice mixes where you can you can you know make these ten different flavors a week ahead or however a lot of time ahead, and uh, and then just dump that that flavor mix. So that that would be another thing you could do on Sundays: make your spice mixes and just toss them in when you're ready. Uh, so really boring as that sounds, I think boring is the way to eat long term. If you, if, you if you get to be not bored by it. Yeah, uh, it's it's better than eating for entertainment. I I do believe that there's some room for an entertaining meal now and then, but I think if you can get ninety percent of your meals to just be kind of dull, but I don't know, your taste buds adjust and you you start to like them. That's okay. You do it. You little, heard it here. Eat de- boring. A little depressing, maybe, but but it's not because it's not boring once you get used to it. Ah, right. You've you heard gotta, that before. You gotta spice up your life in other ways, right? That's right, Doug. Spice it up. <laughs> Spice Girls. That was a Spice Girls reference, I think, right? It was a Spice Girls reference, yeah. Fun fact. This is a good one. Oh. This is Matt's Did You Know for, oh. this, for this segment. I, may have, I hope I didn't say this before. I went to a Spice Girls concert when I was in high school. Uh-huh. And then the next week at the same venue, I went to a Metallica concert. And I believe I was the only person at both of those concerts. <laughs> Oh, that's pretty funny. Why did you go to a Spice Girls concert? I was into them. I don't know why. I just like kind of was into their music. Hmm. I was I was into them, not not their music. You know, I was in high school. There were four attractive women, five attractive women. I don't know how many there were. Yeah, and they were all British. You did know. Did you go with friends to both of them? I did. I went with uh, actually there were two of us. I went to a guy who was in my band because I, I played drums and he played guitar, mm-hmm. and he was another fellow fan of Spice Girls and Metallica. <laughs> That's great. That's <laughs> yeah. funny. So there you go. Uh, that is that is Q and A. Ask us anything. Whatever you ask us, things that we will filter out and choose so not really anything but um yeah that that is our that's our q a episode so we'll do them every now and then keep sending those questions in if you'd like us to answer your question here and uh otherwise we'll see you see you back in a few days all right enjoy the rest of your cruise man all right thank you (laughs) bye